Good morning. Have you all ever wondered, what am I doing here? I mean, really, what, what's life about? I don't, I don't always get it. Maybe you find yourself in a season of life right now where each day just kind of repeats itself. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Or perhaps you're in a season of life where you're running as fast as you can on the treadmill of life. And you are just going and going and going. But when you look around, the scenery's not changing. You're not getting anywhere. Or perhaps you're in a season right now where you're suffocating. And it's dark. And you're just crying out, Lord, what are we doing? I suspect all of us have asked those questions at some point on that continuum in our life. I know I have. Um, And the way that I've tried to solve that puzzle and figure out that purpose hasn't always been in the healthiest manner. So in light of that, I, I need to confess something with you all. Um, I am a workaholic. Now, for those who know me well, you may be sitting back there laughing, shaking your head. Yeah, you got that right, brother. I mean, Captain Obvious on today. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. But in all seriousness, if it were a clinical evaluation, I am a workaholic. And you know what? I enjoy hard work. I enjoy the opportunity to participate in God's creative work and to see the results of that. And that's good. But there's another side. If you were to ask my wife Janice, believe me, she would tell you. The downside of that is I don't know how to rest. I do not know how to relax. If I stop, I just start twitching. And then I get up and I go again. And to make that worse, what that ends up meaning is that I rely on me to get things done. I have a very difficult time accepting help from others. I have a very difficult time being still and depending on our God. Now, as you can imagine, you may know some people like that. That can bring some difficulties in life and some challenges. And for me, it started as a young man. Um, As a young man, I gave my life to Christ. And I so desperately recognized that everything I had, everything I am, was by His grace. And I wanted to please Him. I wanted to do things for Him. So that's what I tried to do. But at the same time, I, like my parents, also recognized that I I wanted to better my life for myself and my family someday. Now, this all kind of precipitated in ninth grade, all right, A, a crisis in youth. One morning as I woke up again with my arm completely dislocated in my sleep, mind you, I came to the realization that God had not gifted me with a body that could do what I had dreamed of, of playing in the NFL. Okay, it's that obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I I get it. Okay. 
But for a ninth grader, that was a crisis. I'd worked hard. I'd practiced hard. I was a good kid. That's all I had done. And I, you know, I had moderate success in my little town. But now I was at the end of that road. What was I going to do? Some of you who may be parenting a child near that age may realize the crisis that comes with, what am I going to do? What am I going to study? What's my job, my, job, my life going to be? Well, that's where I was. I was devastated. So I looked around as a young man and said, okay, i got to figure this out. So I looked at my parents, who are amazing. And it was easy through life to see the trend. They had always worked multiple jobs. They had always uh, gone to school at night. They had sacrificed and put our family first in so many ways, coaching every team my brother and I played on, being at every school event, encouraging us on as they raised us in the Lord. And I was thankful for that. So that was a good model. And then I looked at my community and others that surrounded me, and I saw some really good people. But I also saw a lot of people who were suffering the consequences of bad choices. And I knew I did not want to end up dealing with what they had to deal with in life. So that's how I started getting my bearings. And with that, saying, all right, what do I do, Lord? I am thankful, but now that I'm not going to be in the NFL, what's up? Well, my parents were very pleased to see that one of the outcomes of that thought process was in a matter of a couple months, I went from being an okay student to being a pretty good one. I started working hard academically. And then through high school and through college, I worked multiple jobs. And then as Janice and I got married and we started our careers and I started our, we started our family together, life was good. And it was rich. And it, a few years into my career, uh, I was learning a lot. I was growing and getting more responsibility. And then I found myself in a position again where I was surrounded by amazing people and amazing talent. And what was obvious was I was just a kid from Indiana and these people had pedigrees of Ivy League MBAs. And not only did I not have that pedigree, but, you know, being honest, I didn't have it here either. So how was I supposed to compete? How was I supposed to, com you know, to, to keep pace with them and to continue my career for my family? What am I going to do? Well, they were really good people. But what I decided was, I'm going to work harder. And I did. So for the next 35 years in my career, I resolved several things. One of those being, I was going to be the best Brian that I could be. I was going to be the best husband and dad. I was going to be the best servant most of my life at New Hope. I was going to be the best employee. I was going to be the best coach in the community to impact other kids. I decided there are going to be obstacles. I've already had some. There are going to be more. But I'm never going to quit. I'm going to get through those obstacles one way or another. And if I get to one where my lack of ability or natural talent once again becomes apparent, I will find a way. I'm going to work around it. I'm going to work over it. I will outwork them because that I can do. Now, it seemed to work. I've blessed with an amazing family. I can't tell you how thankful I am most of my adult life being here at New Hope.
being surrounded by so many amazing, godly, faithful people. And the model they have set for me in this, they've encouraged my family and helped us through things. God's grace, it's amazing. And I just say, thank you. In my career, I continue to work hard and be surrounded by great teams and learn from really good people. And with that came more responsibility and then more responsibility. And ultimately, I had a lot of global responsibility with the opportunity to impact thousands of people. So God was, my, my efforts were being rewarded. And eventually, the financial benefits followed as well. And I've seen that in so many of you as you have put your faith first in your family and you've worked hard. And that's a good thing. And for me, the way I was going about it, hard work, hard work, hard work, appeared to work until it didn't. 2013 and 14, some of you may know, I was working and living in Germany. Our oldest son, Justin, was just out of college. Our youngest was just entering college. Janice and I had a strong marriage, and I had traveled a lot. We had figured those rhythms out. And honestly, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, time zones didn't get in the way, <laughs> okay? We just called, texted, FaceTime, whatever, and continued on. That's what we did. We'd figured out how to do that. And then... As you may know, I received the phone call about our oldest son, Justin's accident, that ultimately took his life. Our world was wrecked. It was turned upside down. What were we going to do? Well, in the months that have followed, in the years that have followed, God has been so good. He has been so good to us. And he has comforted us and surrounded us and drawn us near to him in ways that I, I can't even put words to to describe He's good, and he's there. And you see, in his sovereignty, he did work all things together for good. And in that, although it didn't feel like it, every day hurt like I've never imagined, and it still does. But in that, while it didn't feel like it, our story wasn't over. God had a plan. So we tried to listen closely. And the one thing I knew was something had to change. And that was me. I had to change. So, given that no amount of hard work and effort was going to get me through these problems and, and the fruit that I so wanted to bear to glorify God, I realized I had to do this differently. And the passage, like we're going to study today and others, have so profoundly impacted my life and my walk with Christ that I want you to experience that today as well. Now, let's be clear. I'm still a work in progress, all right? I, I haven't conquered this battle, but God is working, and I'm trusting. And that's what I want for you, because I know that he has that plan for you too, if you'll let him. So today, we're going to be in John 15, if you'd like to turn there. And it, in this text, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and they're in the upper room. Now, specifically, this text is known as part of what's called the farewell discourse. What's that mean? All that means is if you have a Bible, for example, that's in, you know, Jesus' words in red, between chapter 13 and chapter 17, you're pretty much going to see red. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is teaching because he knows this is the last night 
of his life. It's also Passover, the annual celebration of when Israel was delivered by God from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus knows that his hour has come when he will deliver us from our sin. So, I want to give you a runway up to our text. Let me share just a a brief summary of some of the things that Jesus had been sharing that night as he knew it was his final night. He reminded the disciples that he came to save the world, not to judge. He reminded them of service and loving self-sacrifice as he washed their feet. He confronted Judas that was about to betray him. He let his disciples know, love each other. He predicted Peter's upcoming denial of Jesus three times. But then he encouraged them as he said, don't be troubled. Have peace. Don't be afraid. You can trust in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you that you can't believe. Just obey my commands and I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending the spirit. I'm sending another advocate. You won't be alone. And by the way, hear this. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And then, right before chapter 15, in 1429, Jesus says that he shared this with them so that they would believe when things go down. Just like as Rob shared with us as we did the overview of John at the beginning of the series, John says at the end of this letter that all that he has told us is so that we would believe. Because in our life, things are going to go down too. Life's messy. Life can be hard. And we have to have an anchor to hold on to. And that is this truth that we're going to study. Now, in verse 31, if you look at that, you're going to see that all of a sudden in this discussion, Jesus sharing, there's this this interruption. There's, There's this urgent change of pace. And Jesus says, we got to go. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. It's time to leave. Now, as they leave the upper room, they're together. It's not uncommon for a teacher in those days to lecture his students as they walked. And in this case, Jesus is going to use their time together as they walk to share an object lesson, like he's done so many times, because he wants to make sure that they remember that this is memorable. And he wants to reinforce everything he's been teaching. Because again, it's his time. But this time his voice is heavier. There's there's more to it. He has this urgency. And we would too. Some of you have been there. I know this touches home and it's personal. Some of you have been there as a loved one. Is experiencing their final days. Or their final breath. And you so desperately. Anything they say you want to hear. You want to remember their voice. You want to take it to heart. And there's so many things you want to share back with them. That's what the disciples and Jesus right now are experiencing. So I ask you to join me now. 
as we think of the disciples leaning in, trying so hard to listen, can't you see James and John, like brothers, just nudging each other out of the way to get closer to Jesus? I want to hear him. And you hear the tone of Jesus' voice. Just the tone alone is saying, guys, listen. This is really important. You have to hear me. Well, I want to ask you to picture yourself now. Go on a journey with me. Put yourself in the text. As we're receiving the other end of this conversation, the ancient historian Josephus tells us, as we're on this walk, We passed the temple, perhaps. On the temple, all across the top, was a large golden grapevine. And it was above a wall that was completely gold. And hanging from that cluster, that vine, were clusters of golden grapes that were as tall as a man. That vine represented Israel. Okay? So we see that. It's obvious. We've seen it. We're walking by it. Jesus is teaching. And then we walk out of the city and through the Kidron Valley, and we're going to the Mount of Olives. We've been there before. Jesus has been there before. And that's where we're going. But then Jesus stops right beside a grapevine. And that's where we join him in John 15. So would you... Allow me here just to prayerfully read those words over you and with you. Father in heaven, I just ask right now that your spirit, your word would work in our lives to transform us into your image for your purposes and your glory. Amen. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, You can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's voice. I'm sorry, business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father. I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit 
that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. It's the word of the Lord. In verse 1, we come across the last chronological I am statement in the book of John. By listening. (laughs) Jesus shares in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Like Jesus has so often done teaching about the kingdom, he is flipping things upside down. With this I am statement, just like the others we've studied, Jesus is claiming that he is God. And when we think of that vine and the vine he's standing beside, representing Israel with his words, he's turning that upside down because he's saying he alone fulfills God's covenant. He alone is the true Israel, the one whom God will use to fulfill his mission. He, Jesus, is the only source of life, living water, the bread. So despite our best efforts to produce good things in life, in ways that the world just reinforces, you know it does, whether it's at work, whether it's in school, whether it's in sports, the world reinforces our ways. But Jesus is saying, you're going about this backwards. You're going about it the wrong way. You're coming from the wrong end. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If there's one principle of listening to the heart of a text, this is what we find right here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that sounds good. I mean, we're in church. It's Sunday and we just read the Bible, so it's got to be good. Do you believe it? I mean, really, do you? When we examine our lives, when I look at my life and how I lived, not just six, but seven days a week and the pace I kept and the self-reliance, does that say I believe that? How many people here have ever done a trust fall? You know, where, oh, a lot. Okay, you know where you're blindfolded, you're led somewhere, and then it's like, okay, one, two, three, fall. Yeah. All right, now, how many of those people failed that trust fall and did not fall? Okay, I'm not alone. (laughs) Okay. It's not easy. But it seems so simple. It's... Like Jesus' words are too good to be true. Just remain attached to him. Well, that's truth. And what Jesus is saying is, I have so much more that I want to do in you, through you, and for you, and for my mission. But the only way it can happen, the only way it can happen, is if you stay attached to me. When I hear this, I hear Paul in Romans 12, where he said to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But don't conform to the world in those ways. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus is in the business of transforming our lives. And that's what he's telling us here. So what do we do with that? Well, as I've studied this text the last several weeks and and prayed through this, I I have so much I want to share, but I'm just going to boil it down to two things for you. 
And these two things have dramatically changed my life and my walk with the Lord. And I know that those words are here so that it changes all of us. First, I'm going to talk about our purpose. In verse 8 and 17, we see it's to God's glory, not just that we bear fruit, or maybe, hey, just a little more. No, it's that we bear much fruit, abundant, overflowing fruit. Fruit that will last, not rot, not spoil. Fruit that will last. And as he shares these words and our purpose, Jesus isn't just speaking to John or Peter or maybe those people with 10 talents. He's speaking to us, to every branch. That is his will. That is his purpose. That is what he has chosen and appointed us to do. All of us to go bear fruit. Now, again, let's pause. We hear that. But how many people, when you look in the mirror, when you're alone, driving, just thinking about, what's this all about? How many of you, maybe these words are familiar? Oh, I used to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm retired now. I'm getting old. I... I don't know that I really have a purpose anymore. I just kind of go through my days. Or maybe you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. You're comparing yourself to others and all you can see is, man, that person's got 10 talents and I've got zero. I'm never going to measure up to them. I can't compete with that. I don't have anything to offer. Or perhaps you're still on that treadmill and man, you're just, running and running and sweating and beating the air. And you're saying, I hear you, but I can't fit one more thing in. Well, how am I going to do that? Jesus' words are for us. They're for you. Because that's the point. We can't do it. But we do have purpose. And it's to bear abundant fruit by staying attached to him. Now, when we look at our text, as you heard that text being read and you read that, Another thing we know in scripture that Rob and David have taught us that when something's repeated, it is. Whew, thank you. All right. Let's try that one more time. When it is repeated, it is. There we go. All right. Well, in this text, we see one root word repeated 10 times in seven verses. You just look, flash up the text. You'll just see it highlighted 10 different times in seven verses. The word remain is spoken. So can you imagine? Again, put yourself in the text. We're here with Jesus, and Jesus is saying, remain. By the way, remain, remain, and remain. Do you hear him? That's what's important. Remain. But I don't still get what's that mean? Well, in most, many versions of the Bible, you'll see that's translated as abide. Well, again, Kid from Bartholomew County, I never used the word abide in my life except for reading it in scripture. So what's he saying? Let's dig deeper. In the Greek, there's a word, it's it's meno, okay, or meno. That word in ancient writings, yes, it's translated as abide or remain, but it's also translated as stay, stand fast, persist in 
Okay, that's getting closer. But we have other clues. If we look at the noun form of that word, it's abode. Oh, well, even I've heard of that word. And my abode is like my house or my home. Jesus is saying, make your home with me. Okay? We can dig a little deeper and we see in chapter 14, verse 2, when Jesus is telling his disciples that his father's house has many rooms. Ah, room, home. Okay, I'm getting it. And on down in 14.10, he's explaining the union, the intimacy between the father and the son. And he says, it is the father living in me. So living is using that same word, that same root. And then on down in 14.17, when he talks about the spirit and that the spirit will come, he says, but you know him for he lives with you and in you. So when we put those together, I think we get a better idea of what's Jesus saying 10 times in seven verses. Making our home with him, an intimate, personal communion. But for those who know what a good home is like, it's a place where you're safe. It's a place where you can be at peace and relax. And you can just be you. It's a place where you experience unconditional love and acceptance. It's the place that you long for. That's what Jesus is saying. And living in him, in that, remaining in him, should be as natural as breathing in and breathing out. It's not a labor. So the key first message that we want to pull out of this text is that we are all to bear abundant fruit. And the only way we can do that is remaining, abiding, being at home in Jesus. So to simplify that down for all of us, to remember our only job as a follower of Jesus is to stay attached to the vine. That's it. Stay attached to the vine. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You will have no fruit. You will have no life. That's it. Now, let me explain and try to clarify a little bit more of the text that we saw here before we hit our second point. And that is, in this imagery, in the song that Ben sang with Emma, God is the gardener. And in his wisdom and his love for us as the gardener, he wants to produce and to love us and to draw near to us and do everything possible beyond our comfort zone to produce an abundance of fruit. And that means he's going to lift us up when we've fallen down. It means he's going to clean us off, maybe with a wire brush. It means that he's going to position us so that the light can bring us life, as Matt talked about last week. It also means as he positions us, he's going to prune us, it says. He's going to cut away the false life that surrounds us, the things that are suckers, and just pull it out of us so that we can bear abundant fruit. Has anybody here, I imagine, pruned your own bushes or a vine? Yeah, okay. As a young, first-time homeowner, my dad said, oh, you need to prune those bushes. You need to trim them back. I was like, there's no way, Dad. They're only this big. <laughs> I can't do that. Fail. The next year I learned my lesson. I did it. And within a couple cycles, 
thick, rich, abundant, and bearing in fruit. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. But just like this time of year where maybe a winter pruning had been done, what's that bush look like after it's been pruned? It's ugly. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's painful to look at. God will prune us if we're not bearing enough fruit so that he strengthens us and matures us for his purpose and glory. And when he prunes us, it's transformative. Now, our text says that we also have a choice. Our choice is to remain attached to the vine. Job one. But we can't fake it till we make it. I mean, we know how to do that, right? I can act the part. I can look the part. I can say the right things. I can do things for him. Run that treadmill really fast. But am I in him? Am I abiding? Am I remaining in him? If we don't stay attached, we can do nothing apart from him. There's no fruit. The words then that we hear in Matthew 7 are really hard to hear. But when we're not bearing fruit, this is what we hear. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. You see, Jesus is saying he doesn't need us to do things for him. He is God. He just wants to know us. He just wants us to know him, to stay in him. Now, he's not giving us a license to be lazy. All right? Fruit without works, faith, task, go together. But he, he wired some people to work really hard. But we have to redirect our target of that effort, redirect the target of our source of strength solely to him. For me, that also means I've really got to be honest with myself. I've, uh, I've got to let go of fears and things I may not have shared that drive me to work so hard. My fears. Am I going to be able to pr provide for my family? My insecurity. I'm just a one-talent guy. My pride. To outwork them so I look better? Am I trusting Him and abiding in Him and knowing that in that, get that right, He will produce abundant fruit? As we then move to our second lesson we can take from this text, in Jesus' farewell instructions, He echoes back to chapter 13, and I had not caught this before, um, but before Jesus gives His disciples a new command, it's interesting to look at what happens before and after. Right before he gives this new command, he had just confronted Judas, and Judas departed. He sprinted to go betray Jesus. And right, or that was right after, right before, he predicted that Peter would deny him three times. In 1334, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then as we fast forward into 
our text as they're approaching the Mount of Olives. Jesus mentions love now, again, that repetition thing, nine times between nine, verse 9 and 17. So just as he told us to remain in him, he's now repeating nine times, remain in my love. So as he reinforces these lessons, he's trying to be clear, the way we remain in his love is by keeping his commands. It's that simple. Just as he has kept his father's commands. You see, we, we demonstrate our love as a response to Jesus' love and his grace. We demonstrate our love by obeying because of all that he has given us. And we trust him. It's not earning our way. That's backwards. It's resting and trusting in him. It's hearing it like a parent who tells the child, this, yeah, this is where we play. No, you can't go beyond the driveway or the sidewalk. Because they know out there are dangers that the child can't foresee. Jesus wants to protect us and provide us. And within those boundaries to have abundance of life. That's what he wants for us. So instead of begrudging, oh, well, the Bible's a bunch of rules. No, he wants us to hear that our obedience shows our response of love. But in verse 11, he told us that is for the purpose of joy. Through our obedience, Jesus said his joy, the joy of the Son of Man, would be in us. And our joy would be complete. We can't imagine more. You see, get this, just as Jesus is about to empty himself, for our redemption. In those last moments, he's not, oh, man, this is awful. You guys don't know how bad this is going to be. No, he's pointing him to joy. On the other side of the cross, Jesus knows the abundant joy in him and that our joy will be complete, our second lesson. Our joy will be complete when we sacrificially love others, when we show the fruit of our love through our obedient response to his word, working in our lives. And therefore, Jesus summarizes here saying, love one another, love. Now, as I wrap us up today, as we close, I really want the tension of these words to sit with you. They're not easy. They're not easy. So consider him. Consider these words as I leave you with this one question to wrestle with. Do you know him? If so, I can't wait to see the fruit he continued to produce in and through not only you, but this church. Would you pray for me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your love. Lord, help us not to just walk out and leave this tension. Help us to sit in our hearts. Help us to lean in closely and to hear you. Help us to remain in you and to obey and to show you in response our trusting love. Father, I pray we ask for your mercy. And Father, we ask that you show us your joy for your glory. In Jesus' name.